Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. All right. How many of you in here are willing to admit that you love to sin? Okay, your spouse. Tell us how much your spouse loves to sin. It's not love versus sin. It's love is sin. No, I'm joking. I had a friend in from town uh, this weekend, old friend we've known for a long time. And we're at a certain age where all we talk about is what we eat and what we're going to eat and then deciding on what we're going to eat and deciding whether we're going to feel bad about it or not. I don't know if you've ever been caught up in the di- dieting cycle, but it's not a pretty thing. People will give you all of these perfect ideas and ways to deal with it, but the bottom line is you still have to be calorie deficient, which in my case is a sentence, a bad sentence, and it's terrible. But you sit around and talk about it. And so we, we, we were talking about the possibility of ice cream. I know, I can't believe I said that in church, but... <clears throat> One of the persons said, well, you know, I've just been so good lately, and I just, I just feel like I'm sinning. And I said, well, wait just a second here. Are there any biblical grounds to say that it's a sin to eat ice cream? And we, we came to the conclusion that no, there's no biblical grounds for that whatsoever. But we determined that it was a sin against ourselves. So I bought it for everybody else. And I just smelled of it. True story. It's still in my freezer, though, and the temptation remains. But I want to talk about, you know, this is the second part of uh, love versus sin. We have part three up there, but it's actually part two. And I want to talk about practically how we do this. Because if, if I'm going to be up here honest, we're all going to be honest in here. We have to realize that in our lives, believers' lives, Christ followers, there is a hidden conflict of sin measured by God's love. And it can become very discouraging for everyone. Those feelings of shame, defeat, worthlessness. Am I hitting anybody at home? These emotions can can band together and, and, and make us feel overwhelmed and tempting us to quit, but we can't give up. And we might even say, let someone better than me do this. You ever had those feelings? Feelings where you think, okay, when I first came to Christ, it was so great. I left all this stuff behind. But as I go along, I find out that there's still some good old sin there. Uh, It may not be the ones that I was struggling with. In fact, it's common to find out that some people who have struggled with things for years, when they come to Christ, many of those things just go away, but not everything does. And so prior to coming to the Lord, we spend our lives kind of just making it up as we go. And it's saying, seem to be okay. But then the conviction from the Holy Spirit came along and says, you need, the way that you're heading is wrong. And because of that, there needs to be changes. 
And so God offers his free gift of salvation to anyone who will call upon his name and believe and trust in him. He said anyone, anyone who will do that. So that's a great, wonderful offer. So if you take the offer, then all of a sudden you're really in trouble because now you've been forgiven of your sins, but all of a sudden you find out through the law, you find out through Scripture that there are so many sins to do. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. Because there's something insidious within the human race. It's called sin. You may call it evil. But whatever you call it, it is something that can cloud every relationship and all that we do as human beings. It is such a big and terrible problem that it took God himself to come and fix it himself. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to spend a lot of our time in Romans chapter 7. Because Romans chapter 7 is, is a pretty complicated chapter. We're going to get into chapter 8 as well. But Paul lays out the situation in, in a fantastic way. In verse 21 of 7, he says, So I find this law at work altogether. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death. Just a little recap from last week. The word sin that's used in most often in the New Testament is hamartia. And um, it sort of, it sounds like a salsa, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you like the tomatia or the hamartia? <laughs> well, the <laughs> hamartia is a little more tasty, but we'll stick with the tomatillas, okay? Now, it, it's a word that it, it seems very simple. It, and, and as we've mentioned, it, it, it has been pointed out by scholars and laymen that it means to miss the mark. And so people will take an illustration of an arrow and say, you, know, you point it, you shoot it. That was a nice sound effect, wasn't it? Anyway, you shoot it, and all of a sudden, you know, you either hit the bullseye or you miss the mark, and that's what sin is. But that's too simple of an explanation. In the last couple of weeks, I've been reading and thinking about this, and I have gone down a deep, dark tunnel. And what I've concluded is that sin really is the big problem. Because sin, as it's relayed through the Old Testament, kata, is not only missing the mark, but it's, it's missing the ultimate goal. The idea is, is that you're going the wrong way. And humanity, as far as God is concerned... Uh, when, when they sin, when we sin, we are headed the wrong way. We are living the wrong way. And living the wrong way and having the wrong ideas and having this perplexing sin sends us into sin and rebellion. It sends us into rebellion against God. In fact, sin, by being defined, if we want to take it into very practical terms, sin for us is ultimately selfishness. 
What good has ever really come in your life from being selfish? Well, I got the parking place I wanted this morning at church. I said, honey, let's get up early. Let's get to church before all the selfish people do. And all the bad parking lots, <laughs> all the good parking is gone. There can be some benefit, but not in God's economy. You see, Adam and Eve were told, don't eat that, eat everything else, have fun, be naked. You don't even know you're naked, but don't go over there. They take a bite of food, they get messed up, they're convicted, they cover themselves, they hide from God, and then from there it gets worse and worse and worse. Their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was upset and jealous of his brother, envious of his brother. And so God comes to Cain and says, Cain, listen, sin is crouching at your door, but you must lord over it. You must overcome it. But sin, as personified in Scripture, was seen as a wild beast that is ready to jump and consume. And that is the temptation, that is the flaw within human beings, is that we have a propensity to sin, okay, and then further engage in it and be a part of a more erroneous version of sin which encompasses the whole human race. That's why it's such a big deal with God. We've taken it to a very Sunday school level that says, well, you know, God doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to be a good person and go to church and help people cross the street and whatever you, you may say. And, you, and, and because we've become so sin-obsessed, we, we spend most of our time trying not to sin. And when we do sin, it's never a feeling of like, wow, that's weird. I haven't done that in a while. It's more of a sense of failure and weakness. And all of a sudden, the gospel starts to feel like this is not feeling good anymore. Because before I knew God, I didn't know I was making all the mistakes. Now I am conscious of the mistakes. And if I want to, I can spend every day of my life being consumed with the idea of sin and overcoming it. Can anybody say amen to that? We struggle with that. And what we're going to learn today is that putting our attention and, and seeing our true identity where God meant it to be with him makes radical changes in our lives when it comes to this sin issue. Now, people like to just say, well, sin is just made up. It's a way for Christians to um, <clears throat> control people. But you don't understand the vast nature of this insidious poneros, evil. It ruins everything. From a little time that a little baby is born, what's one of the first words that they learn to say? No. Or how about thank you? Yeah, all of my kids, you know, it's their first word, thank you, father. No, it's mine. In fact, I can remember a story of my youngest son. We were outside, and I said, hey, look up at that plane up there. Isn't that cool? And he's a little kid, and he goes, mine. <laughs> All right, Richard Branson. Okay, fine. 
and what you got planned for the rest of your life. But sin becomes personified in the passage that we're going to look at today because Paul says it needs to be viewed this way. This selfishness leads to murder. It leads to um, disloyalty. It leads to treachery, to theft, to covetousness. In fact, the, the Ten Commandments are, are broken into half. Five of them are positive. Five of them are negative. There's things that God doesn't want us to do. And, and we're going to even look at the law today. What was the law? What was the Torah's true intent? Well, Paul's going to let us know. And what we have is, if we're not careful, is we embrace a culture of failure. Sin haunted across the board and embracing the wrong identity. There is an old way to be human. Selfish, determined, murderous, self-indulgent, all of these things, and all of them lead to death. None of them are just like, you know what? God says, I'm going to really reward your self-indulgence. Your selfishness, it gets you to be on top. No. It, it causes problems. So God says, repent. That means turn around. Sin says you're going the wrong way. It's not you made a mistake, you made a mistake, you made it a little problem. No, you're going and heading in the wrong direction. And he wants humanity to turn from selfishness back toward God. But the problem with sin is that it, it codifies and even it strengthens our rebellion against God. Because we don't like people telling us what to do. How many of you love being told what to do? Amens everywhere. No. Nobody does. You have to learn. But that's the issue. When we talk about sin, it's an all-pervasive, worldwide, all-encompassing, poneros, evil, that is bent on destruction of humanity and even the planet. Romans chapter 7, let's look back up at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. Now, when he's speaking of the law here, he's speaking of the first five books of Moses, the Torah. But there is a lot encompassed about culture and religion within the Torah. But primarily, my guess is that he's speaking specifically about the 613 laws that are found, some prohibitive, some uh, positive uh, laws concerning human beings in relationship to God and Israel. He said, the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate, but what I hate, I do. Can anybody say amen to that? And if you do, if you do not do what... <laughs> this is like a tongue tire. You try to read that out loud. And if I do what I do not want to do... I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Not this little thing, but this ravenous beast that abides with human beings. For I know 
that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, okay? For I have the desire to do good, what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a mess, right? But this is how it feels if we're going to be honest here, church, sometimes. That struggle, envy that person, you're convicted by it. You have this desire to do good. Paul is noting here that there's a change. When someone is completely sold into sin, Paul uses the term death, okay? Just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, but they didn't physically die at that moment, but they began to die. But what they experienced was a spiritual death because they were no longer in strong contact with God. The relationship had been marred in that respect. And God, since he is the full author of life, it is being cut off from that. And so this sin that is very pernicious, very evil, seeks to capitalize and destroy a person based upon that. You say, well, how can that be? Well, here's, here's the best I can say this. <clears throat> if you come to Jesus Christ, he says, you'll be born again, born of the Spirit of God, not just having a law that tells you the things that you're doing right and the things that you're doing wrong, but you will have a dynamic from God himself, which is the Holy Spirit. However, until the day that this body is resurrected, just like Jesus Christ, you will have to contend with the sin nature that is within you. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's not like that, that sin nature dies the moment that happens. In fact, one of my favorite preachers, and I've told you this before, I'm saying this so that you think, so that you know that I know I said it before. Anyway, Charles Spurgeon, great Victorian preacher, had a guy who walked up to him after a Sunday service, and um, Spurgeon was talking about that, this very subject. And the man said, hey, look, since I've been in Christ in the last 10 years, I've never sinned. And he said, oh, really? That's interesting. I'd like to meet you for lunch. So as the story goes, he met him for lunch, and the guy began to tell the story of how he hadn't sinned once since he had accepted Jesus. And so Spurgeon stood up, took a glass of water, and threw it in his face. And the guy stood up and started cursing. And Spurgeon said, aha, I knew the old man wasn't dead. He was just sleeping. Bad drivers can have that same effect on me. <laughs> Thank goodness all the bad drivers go to the other churches on Sunday morning. 
But the law of God is good, okay? The law of God is good. It's not bad. In fact, it is, but it's incomplete in its ability to save. Verse 23 of Galatians chapter 3. Before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ, some translations say tutor, was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. Okay, basically what he's saying is, is that in earlier parts of, of Romans chapter 7 and uh, 5 and 3 and so on, he, he makes the case that prior to the law, and we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, there wasn't a full consciousness of sin from Adam until uh, the captivity, and the, I'm not captivity, but the time spent in slavery in Egypt, there really wasn't anything codified. It wasn't until Moses came along. And then God gave them the law through Moses. And Paul, very distinctly in, the, in Romans, says, the law killed me because I didn't know about covetous until I've, I read it. He said, but sin took an opportunity and advantage this evil, pernicious force. Took advantage and made what was good into something terrible for me. You know? I mean, it's like a parent telling a kid. I can remember I was going over to a friend's house, and on the way to the friend's house, there's this old abandoned house, and it had some partial glass. You know, every town has the spooky house in it. Well, that was our home. No, I'm joking. Uh, but we had, she said, listen, on your way over there, I want you to behave. And I don't want you or any of those boys throwing rocks at that old house and busting out windows. Well, for some reason, I had never thought about throwing rocks at those windows. But sin, taking advantage of me, was like, hey, you want to go over there and throw some rocks on that? So that's exactly what we did. I fit this passage so perfectly in so many ways. Look with me at verse 7 of Romans 7. We find the purpose of the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I could not have known what sin was had I not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, not some simple thing, big, terrible thing, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every type of of coveting. Apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. 
For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that it might be recognized as sin, it is... It used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You see, sin is not just a behavioral issue. It is a connection and a, a, a manipulation by a malevolent force. In Scripture, his name is Lucifer or Satan. And demons are a part of his cohort. And from what we understand, he hates God's creation. He hates human beings. There is something very special and powerful that the angelic beings, though more powerful than us, look into the things of our lives with amazement. God has created us a very special, unique people, all human beings. But here's the problem. Evil supernaturalism, however that works, we can't see it, but we can see the effects. Realize that the thing that will cause death and destruction in the objects of God's love is rebellion. Rebellion. How many of you love it when your dog goes to the bathroom on your floor? Anybody have a dog? Anybody ever had that happen? Well, your first response is not good. Mine uh, never has been. But I understand that there's a certain nature within that dog, you know, that, that he needs, he, that he doesn't fully understand everything, but I do love him and he's a part of my family. But a dog doing that really sets things off. But you can, you can deal with that. But when you have an animal that turns on you, and consistently bites at you, and everybody around, action has to be taken, right? Real action has to be taken. And so, sin, evil supernaturalism, come together to try to destroy the objects of God's love. Think about Job, one of the oldest books in recorded history. Job... It's a story of a guy that loves God and is prospering. And Satan shows up to meet with God. And he goes, Satan, where you been? Well, I've been going around the world to and fro, starting trouble. Have you considered my servant Job? He's perfect and upright in all his ways. He goes, does Job serve you for no reason? You take all of his stuff away... You destroy his life, and he'll curse you to your face. Because there's something about the nature of this created, powerful being that doesn't understand love and devotion to God. And you know, when, when you don't understand something, you, you tend to fear it or destroy it, don't you? Isn't that weird how human beings do that? But the same way with evil, same way with Satan himself. He's perfectly satisfied with destroying the objects of God's love. You say, well, that's really evil and treacherous. That's right. 
That's the whole point of sin. That's why Paul talks about sin leading to death, leading to death, leading to death. It was the hammer of our destruction as a human race. But now, he says, the law came and sin, the law was good. Why you tell you why the law was good? Because the law, for the first time, was given to a people group and they could discern, oh, we're not supposed to be doing that. Oh, we should be doing this. Oh, okay. And God showed us how he wanted us to behave with each other. But the problem is, is that the human race had already been diseased. Okay? There were no masks that you could wear to prevent this. There were no vaccines at the time. We could just find out and and, and realize that we were unhealthy. He said, but the law was a tutor. The law was a guardian to bring me to Christ. Because what happened is once I was fully confronted with what God really wanted for humanity, not just making it up in my mind, but clear passages of Scripture that says this is what I want for humanity. Once that happened and sin pounced on me, I found out that I was completely unable to make any long-lasting change. Unable to make any long-lasting change. And he said, for that sake, it was good because it drew it sent me to God. It sent me to God. And I cried out to God. You see, something that could be so bad, God would take and make it into a way to Him. God is making all things new. God is redeeming and restoring all things and constantly making a way for us back to Him. All right. Now, Paul concludes this with 724. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I think he's speaking here. There's a lot of controversy about this. Very nuanced passage. But I believe he's speaking about very human conditions. He gives us an answer, good news, that help is available in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, Because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness, that is. To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So you get, you get the picture here. He says, okay, the penalty for what everyone has been doing is death, separation from God, and separation from God eternally. 
Mankind, born with a sinful nature, is born, still born, even though the body is functioning. That's why he says you need to be born again. You need to be born spiritually. And he does this by making himself the payment for your sin and my sin. And because of that, he says, there's no condemnation for you. Why? Somebody already picked up the bill. You ever get that happen? Never happens to me. I try to follow some of the Christians in this church to restaurants and hoping they'll see me there <laughs> and say, no, I'll get his ticket right over there. It's, it hasn't happened. It's disappointing, but... Uh, but if you've ever had it happen, you, you say, okay, what's the bill? Well, somebody already paid for it. Oh, really? Who was it? Well, they left already. How great is that? But it was my bill. It's, I consumed this food. I ordered it. It's okay. Somebody, out of an act of grace, out of an act of kindness, said, of love, did something nice for you. Now, you could protest and say, nobody will ever pay for my meal. I am a self-made man. Sorry, that's like from the 40s. Yeah, see? Hey. What are you up to, funny guy? (laughs) See? Okay. Now, what are you trying to do? I'm going to pay for my own way. Nobody pays for my way. Okay. Somebody already paid for it, but you're welcome to pay again. Every analogy breaks down. That one just broke down. The truth is, is that we didn't have enough to pay to get, our way, get, get out of this. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, likeness of, but he was perfect. And he took our sin upon himself and says, okay, you're a sinner. You make mistakes. You've blown it a lot, and you're going to do it again. But because you've come and asked me for forgiveness, and you've been restored to me, and you're a follower of me, you're now in my group. And that means there's no condemnation for you. You say, well, what does that mean? What it means is you and I have to change our identity and stop thinking of ourselves as connected to sin all the time. Because if we do that, we're going to continue to live by the law of sin and death. We're going to continually judge ourselves and, you know, go over every little word that we just said or someone said to us or watch other people and see how they're, they're sinning and not making it. And we become this sin-haunted, obsessed people who are continually not breaking free because our identity hasn't changed We're still living as if our sins weren't judged with Jesus. We're still living as if that you're going to have to pay for every mistake that you make. Just like telling, you know, uh, a dog, hey, you just tore up a car seat. You're going to have to pay for that. Dog goes, huh? That's about as far as I go, huh? You know I tear up stuff. I know. 
You let me in your house, I know. But in, in Jesus' house, he would say, would you stop doing that? The Holy Spirit would convict and help him to, to do something else. Here's a chew toy. But if we live by the law of sin and death, we're going to be afraid of every mistake that we make and we'll be crippled and unable to function fully as the human beings that God wants us to be. No longer living by the law, but by the Spirit. Romans 8, oh, <clears throat> 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You see, prior to, it was all about this thing, this us. This old fleshly nature that was in rebellion against God. Seeking to be selfish and get whatever we can out of life. Okay? But, he says, now we live by the Spirit. Because God has set us free. It's like having a death sentence. And someone comes along and says, it's commuted. Someone's already paid for it. You're out. What? Yeah. What would you be thinking about? I mean, if you had just been forgiven of every uh, of murder and you were out and free, what would your first thought be? Whew, well, I'm going to have to get back out there and murder somebody. <laughs> this jail life really impedes on my lifestyle. It might trigger you to think maybe there's something else to think of. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, we don't live by that standard anymore. We live by a much higher and better and more safe and stable standard. And that's the standard of the Spirit. Jesus said, you know, if I leave, I'll send the Spirit to you. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. He'll come upon you on the day of Pentecost, and he will teach you all things concerning me. Whatsoever I have commanded, he will let you know. With you. The essence of God being with you. Okay? Verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not want to submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Cannot. And if you and I spend all of our time thinking about, not don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that, you get pulled back into the law of the flesh and sin has a greater opportunity to pounce upon you and take advantage of you. And what Paul's trying to get across is, he says, we have to change that mindset and update it to our now reality in Jesus, which is a new life by the Spirit, not governed by those laws. It's a better law. Would you rather have someone give you a book full of laws and say, memorize this, if you mess up, I'm kicking you out? Or would you rather have someone like the Holy Spirit who says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you how to listen to God. I'm going to show you what I want in life. And you're going to be able to do it out of the abundance of your heart because you're no longer in rebellion against God. You're, you're, you've sided with God and say, yes, 
Thank you for forgiving my sins. What is life supposed to be like now? And then he says, I'll send you a comforter. I will send you a mentor. I will send you someone with the power to do it. To do what is in your heart's desire in pleasing God. But it's only by the power of the Spirit. Okay, this is how we embrace our new identity. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Here's a question here. A condition. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So, so here's the idea. He gives us the picture of a resurrection. A, I don't know if you know much about this doctrine, but it's just pretty powerful. It's basically saying that when you, if you are in Christ and you die, one day God will resurrect that body into something new and beautiful and wonderful. He will even redeem this corpse, and it will be perfect, wiping away every tear from every eye. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more dying. All the former things are passed away. That's what it says in Revelation. Speaking of the time that the earth is renewed in the presence of God. But he says, even right now, though your body is decaying, you are alive to God because of righteousness. You see, we lived in unrighteousness, a wrong standing with God. But we're told that through faith, I mean, by grace, through faith, trusting in God, God's goodness plus your uh, faith and trust that he, he will do what he says, he says, turns out to be righteousness. It was that way for Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was brought into right standing with God. You see, that's where all of the selfish problems began when we turn away from God. Because God is an authority. And we don't always like authority in our lives. We don't like to be told what to do. But in that instance, God gains the ultimate glory. And you and I are off on a different adventure because now we are brought into as a member of a family. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you'll put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as children to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Daddy. We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, Dave, you read a lot, said a lot, I know, but it's important. If you and I are going to get to the better stuff, to the good business, to the things that we want, that God wants to, us to do, then, then we're going to have to think differently about ourselves. We're going to have to think differently about ourselves. When you make a mistake, spirit convicts you, you move on, and you keep that relationship with God going and going and going. But if you're leaning toward the law of sin and death, what happens is you sin. Oh, that was bad. And then you sin again. That was bad. And then you start judging yourself and you start condemning yourself. And then all of a sudden it's like sin jumps in. Yeah, I told you you were terrible. You weren't going to make it. Those other Christians, they know they're better than you. Don't You know that they're better than you. <coughs> they can do it, but you can't. That is living by the law of sin and death. Sin takes advantage and you blow it. And one of the things, I don't know if you know this, I've, I've been quite a, a serial sinner for quite a while. I know how to do it really well. But what used to get me when I was younger, I was so sin-obsessed. And once I would do something that I knew was wrong, it would seem that the first person to convict me was the one who enticed me to do it. Sin itself. Sin itself. And if you're on that pattern, okay, that merry-go-round, it's because you're identifying more as a sinner than you're identifying as a child of God. Get that? That's really important. You and I today have to take seriously our identify, identification with Jesus Christ, with him. Parents, do your kids make mistakes? Liars, nobody's raising their hands. Yes, I can tell you some of the mistakes your kids have made. Do you stop loving them? No. Do you give up on them? No. Why? Because they're your children. And if we can do that, as weak as we are, if God says, you're my child, that should be enough for you to say, you know what? I'm living in God's house. I'm playing in his backyard. And I'm safe. Okay? I'm safe. I don't have to be thinking about this stuff all the time, making a mistake. He's already paid for it. He, he wants, he's, I've been justified by faith, by his work on the cross. But the final act for us, or the process, is something that um, Scripture calls sanctification. It's a big, fancy word, but it just basically means maturing in God and growing. And if, you may not be growing very fast. But are you growing? Are you maturing? If you are, you're being sanctified and being led by the Spirit. And you see a lot of those things just start to fade away because they're no longer a temptation, because they're no longer an obsession. 
You don't think about them anymore. It's like me and dieting. I look forward to the day that I don't lay in bed at night and think about a can of Pringles. I still do. At night, I can see a, a glow of a root beer float just hovering over my bed. But I know it's going to go away because I'm thinking more on healthy foods and what I'm going to eat, not what I'm avoiding. You ever notice that? You spend all your time thinking about what you're trying to avoid, you're attracted to what you avoid. You spend your time thinking about what's good and different, then you spend your time thinking on healthy things. That's the key. If you identify with Christ, you're in his family. There's no condemnation for you. It's only his correction in helping you grow and get to that place and and to be the human being that he's wanted us to be, not selfish, but submissive to God, humble, charitable. So if you're struggling with that today, I think you know what to do. Lean heavily upon the Spirit of God and don't worry about the law. Jesus has taken care of that. You put your mind on life. 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 Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who are with us online and here in the fellowship. Lord, this is a big issue. It's so big. And we don't want to miss out on your spirit. We don't want to miss out on uh, life in the family of God. We appreciate the justifying work that you've done to to reconcile us to yourself, to redeem us. And yet, in that process of redemption, you still are there to sanctify us, to grow us to the full measure that belongs to Christ. Have mercy on us, God. Help us get our minds straight. Lord, we want to live like the human beings you've called us to, by your grace and by your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. you please stand? We'll sing. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.